0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking Angular tooling. We have an amazing guest that knows a little bit, well, a lot about the subject. So it should be really good discussion. So let's get after it right away. Uh, introduce our panelists here. Today, we've got Austin McDaniel with us. Austin, how's it going?
1: How's it going, everyone?
0: And we've got Bonnie Brennan with us. Bonnie, how's it going?
2: It's going great. I'm excited to have
0: Minko here. I love Minko. Yeah. And our guest today is Minko Getcha. Minko, how's it going? Hi, it's great.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we're really excited to have this discussion. I am. I'm, I'm sure everybody else is. So, uh, Minko, why don't you tell our, uh, our viewers a little bit about yourself? Give us a little sure. background for those that don't know.
3: Yeah, sure. So currently I'm working on a startup, uh, Rhyme.com. We are about to release our initial public beta maybe in a couple of weeks. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Really, really excited about it. We've been working on it for quite some time now. And in my spare time, I'm doing a lot of open source. So I've been working mostly on Angular Touring recently. So that's why uh, this topic is specifically exciting uh, for me. Uh, So I've been working on different tools uh, for static analysis of Angular application, visualization of source codes, and contributing to the Angular score and others.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah, we know, you know, familiar with your Codalizer work, right? Yeah. then um, you have several other tools that you have out there for analysis and all, all kinds of different stuff, um, including one, didn't you recently have something with Minecraft and some tooling?
3: Oh, yeah. I built a Christmas edition. So yeah, basically, you can compile your application to virtual reality and walk around your code. Yeah, that was fun. And for Christmas, I made it with Christmas trees, so you basically are... In a Christmas tree garden where you can walk around and see your Christmas trees, like the snow is, it's snowing. You can see different um, Christmas, like different toys on the Christmas trees, depending on the directives of your component. It is completely useless and a lot of fun to build.
0: <laughs> that is, that's so cool. What do you, do you, do you just have this innate passion for this type of stuff in terms of
3: the
0: topic? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm actually passionate about compilers. <laughs> I really uh, prefer to build useful things. But yeah, this one was kind of an exception. It was for yeah, it was I, I think
1: you're the only person I know that's actually said they're passionate about <laughs> compilers.
3: <laughs> I know a few more guys. Uh yeah, we we actually started, so we are trying to establish a reading list. Where we're reading about compilers, like papers about compilers. It's really, fine to, it's really hard to find other members of this reading reading club. So we're only two people for now. So I can I can understand that, what Austin is seeing.
0: Yeah, you know that's a uh, that's one of the things I find really fascinating about Minko is his passion for the compilers, which, like Austin said, is kind of going. Well, I, I can't even imagine like being excited about that but then because of that all, all the things we, we develop and chat, it's amazing you know so it's exciting uh, thank
2: you I was really intimidated the first time I met Nico. but I didn't I, like I was like asking him questions and he just like knew everything that I wanted to know like right off the top and I thought these were like super advanced questions and every question I asked him he was like oh yeah and he'd talk about that like nothing and then once i got to know him he's like the nicest guy in the world so it's hard to be intimidated but he's still pretty intimidating oh
3: thank
0: you okay since we're we're gushing about mink i'm going to say one more thing here too that you do um you do a lot of talks and presentations and i'm always amazed by the quality of your talks and you had one recently at angular connect where you talked about performance and uh, it was phenomenal the way that you walked through that and, and taught people the, the different steps and, and unfolded that. So I just wanted to plug that as well too. Um, excellent speaker.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to, I, I still have a lot of work. Um, I have some bullet points that I'll be working on this year. Hopefully, the quality will improve further.
2: And you are going to be at NGCon.
3: Uh, yes, I'm uh, doing a workshop there about performance.
2: There you go. We're going to have so much fun.
3: Yeah, looking for, forward to
0: uh, Totally looking forward to it. All right, so tooling. Tell us about tooling. Let's let's talk about the Angular tooling and, and
3: yeah. Yeah, well, uh, in, uh, so I'm very excited about what's happening in the Angular world regarding tooling. Um, this is because of several reasons. Like, there is great tooling in general for scaffolding and for uh, bootstrapping applications like in different in each individual framework. Like we have create React App for React. We had Yeoman before. We have the Vue CLI and react CLI and everything. Now, uh, of course, in Angular we have the awesome Angular CLI as well. Unfortunately, Mike is not here today to tell us more about that uh, and schematics. But on top of that, Angular is um, super convenient for tools for specific specifically for static code analysis and the the compilation topic like the entire topic about compilers in angular is, is, is uh, very essential as well uh, so um, this is by because of several reasons but mostly because of the very good foundation very good design of the framework itself so it is not only built with typescript which allows us to collect a lot of metadata for our application because of the type information but also the templates are built they, they were built with tooling in mind that's uh, that was part of the like the design docs when the framework was initially developed. So uh, the templates can be, they have very deterministic meanings, like each individual uh, syntax there. Basically, you can statically analyze them and make some conclusions for the, your uh, Angular application properties based on them. So uh, I think this is a very powerful aspect of the framework.
0: Yeah, that and that whole TypeScript story, I think, is is really paying off, right, of, of the adoption and, and acceptance of TypeScript into that. Because not only for all the strong typing and things like that, but it seems to be allowing us to accomplish a lot more of these, these things around this analysis and things like that that seem to be extremely powerful, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, there are some small things. And in the templates, there are some small things which are just making Angular so much easier for analysis compared to AngularJS, for instance. In AngularJS, we were able to pass. Um, well, we had a variety of ways to pass a value to. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't an input back then, it was called something else. But we were able to pass a, a value using interpolation by uh, internally invoking uh, the expression evaluator, however that was called, in order to uh, evaluate the uh, expression that's yet been passed to the directive in specific context. And we had another way as well. So we had three different ways to pass a value to a component, compared to now where we have only the single way where we pass either a constant or we pass an expression which is being evaluated by the framework. So this deterministic nature of the the framework is extremely helpful for us.
0: So is this stuff that benefits? I mean, do we like where do we see this? The benefit of this is it like in our our editors and IDEs, we get additional functionality from there? Is it the compilation of Angular itself and the Angular compiler and things? Or what other places do we benefit from, from all this being there?
3: Yeah, that's a, 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 that's a perfect question. So uh, there are several things. Uh, of course, we have great editor support. Uh, thanks to the great design of the framework, we have tools like the Angular language service, which allows basically it collects the metadata for our entire application in order to be able to track the individual template references and to provide out completion in the given context. So we have the language service itself. It provides uh, great development experience, and like it is only in its early days, so it's going to improve a lot in future. And on top of that, uh, thanks to the compiler and to the good design of the framework, uh, we can see something like Ivy, which is showing up in the framework and decreasing our bundle size with 90% or so. So uh, because of the statically analyzable nature, (laughs) let's go this way, of the framework, we are able to mm, perform a lot of compile-time optimizations. So basically, the way that GCC uh, optimizes C on very low level, we will be able to do something like that with Angular, and we can have extremely powerful results.
1: So where do you see, like, um I'm going to get off on a side note. Yeah. Where do you see like WebAssembly playing in with this?
3: Yeah. Well. So that's uh, uh, first. We we are not limited right now. Right now, we are not limited to compilation targets. The compilation targets of our Angular applications to be JavaScript. Uh, we can compile them to anything. We can even build something like Ember to build a compiler to our own intermediate language and build a virtual machine which evaluates everything. Like we can do crazy stuff. Uh, with WebAssembly, I'm not sure how the Angular team is going to approach the problem. Well, currently the, basically WebAssembly is some of the stack-based virtual machine which is very, very performant. And this is one of the, uh, well, it's about 2.5 times faster compared to JavaScript right now, right? Uh, that's what I watched on Google I.O. last year. So eventually, it can you improve our, the performance of our application if we compile the change detection of the Angular app to WebAssembly instead of JavaScript, eventually, to some extent? I guess this is one potential approach. But um, there is also the step that um, well, WebAssembly doesn't have access to the DOM, so there is also this payoff where you need to communicate, where you need to implement some kind of message passing in order to communicate between uh, WebAssembly and JavaScript in order to synchronize synchronize the changes into the DOM. So it's very challenging and interesting thing to to see. Yeah, basically, I'm looking forward to see a design talk about this from the Angular team. Do you
0: think that the way that Angular and the platform is scaffolded and built out, like, allows it to be able to adapt to these sort of things easier than, say, another framework? Um, yeah, or, you
3: know. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, Ember are doing pretty good job as well, so I'm confident that they can very easily take advantage of uh, WebAssembly as well. Uh, it's If you're interested in compilers, I guess Ember and Tanger, Ember is even in more pure form, because they built entire, like, you can see something like WebAssembly uh, as output of their compilation process, uh, but it's their own like, intermediate language. So uh, yeah, I think angular and react. Angular and Amber uh, can take advantage of these of WebAssembly pretty easily.
0: I wonder how many Angular developers actually think about or, or realize or are aware of the whole compilation part? of the whole equation, right? That Angular has this Angular compiler, right? That it's not just TypeScript transpiling stuff, but it's all this extra stuff. I mean, maybe we don't need to know about it too much, or maybe there's awareness of it. I don't know, I'm, I'm curious. Anybody? Yeah, I,
3: I think there is one very important thing that we need to realize. Um, so we don't have to know how the compiler works like in details, although it's it's always fun to know that. Like, <laughs> But uh, it's, um, Definitely uh, interesting to realize that Angular compi- Angular's version of TypeScript is slightly different compared to the conventional TypeScript that we're used to, um, and this creates some kind of inconsistency sometimes between developments, uh, creating an application like building an application for development with the watch mode of the Angular CLI, and after that, building it for production, because Angular supports some large subset of TypeScript. So, for instance, we it it cannot infer sometimes what the context of a given provider factories or whatever. So um this is a very okay. important thing to keep in mind.
1: One one thing on that, like for the viewers, like we're talking about TSC versus NGC, right?
3: Uh yeah, that's a good point.
1: Right. So like if you run TSC, like it's not exactly the same thing as when you run ng-build, which the CLI provides, which is actually running the Angular compiler underneath the hood. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not the compiler expert on the call.
3: You're correct. Yeah, you're correct. Uh, So uh, internally, the dev mode, the development mode is uh, compiling. So what the compiler does in, in general, it takes our Angular application, the way it is that we see it, and it transforms it to some more efficient version of itself. So it is going to transform the templates to some JavaScript calls. Which 18, are, 18, right? Uh, well, that's in both cases. Uh, with JIT, this is going to just happen in the browser. Uh, so so um, that's, that's what the compiler is going to do. So just take our application and transform it to... Some more efficient version. So the templates are not going to are be, just going to be um, tra- just going to be translated to JavaScript calls, which are going to render the render like everything very efficiently. So uh, of course the comp- the compilation it can happen either ahead of time. You can just this can this can happen before the user opens the application in the browser, or it can happen just in time. So the user opens the application in the browser and like this compilation process happens the templates are being translated to javascript and after that they're being uh, evaluated and rendered um the interesting thing is that usually when we're doing something runtime run- we have more metadata uh, so this is a little bit little bit like we're getting in too much details but uh The interesting thing is that we just have more information when we're compiling our application in the browser because of runtime information. Uh, So what happens is that with the more metadata uh, that we have for in -in just-in-time compilation, sometimes the user can use some constructs which cannot be inferred statically as part of the build process, but they can be inferred in the browser because we have this runtime information. So, this creates the inconsistency between ahead of time and just in time compilation, which may means that sometimes the development uh, when running Angular CLI in dev mode um, can, some of our applications can work, but they may not be able to compile ahead of time. So, this and is made to be solved. If,
1: and, and just to be clear for everyone, those are the errors that you get in production that you don't get locally that are like vague, like function cannot be like invoked with a decorator or something like that. I forgot what the exact one is.
3: Yeah, correct. Yeah. And this can be solved uh, very easily if we use ngc, the Angular compiler, for both development and production mode. Uh, And for development modes, uh, we just need to take advantage of the, I think it is, you already can run Angular CLI with ahead of time compilation in dev mode, right, with a flag.
1: Yeah, it's not enabled by default, I don't believe, um, just because it it does slow down the build process. But I think they are working on, and Mike could probably answer this better, but they're working on improving that so that like, it, it doesn't have any impact.
0: Is there a reason why we would not want to be just doing AOT all the time? Um, or you know, is it, is it something that as we approach building going forward, it's just like we should just be building for AOT and, and focused on that?
3: Yeah, there is no no reason to not use AOT. Uh, it's better for all cases. Uh, it's
1: but it's slower. Yeah. To build.
3: Yeah, that's one more compilation step on top. So in the in the best possible scenario, it will be just a little bit slower compared to TSC.
0: But I think one of the things you mentioned was that additional data right there on the client side for when you're JIT mode, right? Um, maybe the possibility of doing some more dynamic stuff, if you needed to do that, right, and accomplish that, and that was a value added to your app, maybe there's a reason why to still run JIT mode? I don't know.
3: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's a good point as well well also sometimes the produced output out of the ahead of time compiler is slightly bigger compared to our actual application Uh, i don't know how this is going to go with ivy maybe this maybe ivy is going to make the magic and
1: and people probably if they're not in like the super loop don't know what ivy is can you kind of tell them a little bit of background there
3: oh yes actually i just saw that narwhal released a course about this where they're mentioning ivy so Justin might be even a better um, person to tell us more about it.
0: Yeah, so from what I've learned and what I've heard and talking is that NGIV is really the, you know, like the, it's the code name for the new version of the renderer. That's gonna be much more efficient and and uh, create these the smaller footprint for your um, code that it, for your templates that it compiles down to the set of instructions that need to run um, in the browser right uh, so it's going to be more efficient than that it's going to be a uh, smaller set of instructions so supposedly we're going to get a lot smaller payload that we can do um as well as speed and stuff <laughs> yeah awesome awesome nice little comment that says or is it it's just render. <laughs> i think it's it's just document because actually i think uh distilling it down to really just getting to the document object and, and working with that but um yeah, we're supposed to get better better speed, better uh, errors uh, and, and debugging that we can see in order to trace down those things, like uh, kind of what Austin, what you mentioned earlier about this obscure error, you know, we should be able to trace that tra- down better. And um, I think all around superness. I mean, that's that's what I hear. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. so.
2: Do you guys know where the name Ivy came from?
0: I no. have heard yes and no on it. So uh, if you want to say something about it, I don't know. Though.
2: I heard, and I actually got a big kick out of this because it's so genius and it's so simple, um, but it's an injected view, right? So it's the letters IV. And when you say them out loud, it sounds like IV, which kind of sounds like a, a cartoon villain, um, but I thought that was super clever. So yeah, so IV stands for injected view, but we call it IV, which I thought was cute.
0: Cool. Yeah, whatever it is, we we can't wait to get it. Right, um, should be uh, a lot a lot of good performance. So we'll see. So you, uh, you can get it
1: now. You can get it now. Beta six, I believe, is what it's at. Download it from npm.
0: You can anyway. you can turn on the Angular compiler option flag to enable it. I'm not sure that you're going to get much functionality out of it. They're still, you know, filling in all the support for it. I think the the idea is that it's going to, you know, replace all have all the same functionality as the existing render. So when it goes live, we as end users, we don't have to do anything to our code to change anything. We will just get it right. But it has to have that parity with the existing render before that's.
2: Yeah, but you do get major street cred from being an early adopter. I think not sure what we can. Yeah, but.
1: Bonnie, are you going to go and update your application to it?
2: I think so. I am. I just, I it, even just, it has a cool name. So I'm just going to use it just for that. Yeah. Okay. But so yeah. Er, go ahead. Well, we had a uh, lag earlier. Cause I thought you were done talking and I started talking and then all your talking came through, but I was just saying, I think uh, early adopters get major street cred. So if you go in there and start using it and give some feedback, then uh, that's worth points.
0: All right, so Bonnie's dishing out street cred to anybody who enables it. There you go. going
1: to give out street cred stickers that say, like, hashtag street cred at ngcoff.
2: When my daughter was in uh, junior high, every time I said something she liked, she'd be like, oh, you just got 100 cool points. And I'm like, I'm getting cool points from you? You're a teenager. You can't do that.
0: That's <laughs> how it works. The younger generation <laughs> cool points. It's it's always how it works, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, you know, we talk about how this whole stuff helps you know our tooling uh, in terms of our ids and editors and how it helps the compilation of angular itself and, and the power that comes along with it what about um things that allow us to do like debugging or, or analysis and things like that um i think maybe talk about augury and, and what that does and what, how that provides something like that so we can kind of look at our running app and figure stuff out
3: yeah uh, yeah augury uh, Rango they built this chrome extension augury which allows us to to see our application structure clearly in our dev tools, uh, see some, basically, mm, yeah, so I have structured, so uh, first we talked about compilation, uh, the head of time compiler and the compiler in general, in Angular, uh, and how just the just-in-time compilation has has some more metadata because of the runtime. So Algory is entirely runtime and uh, it can get, so in order to use Augury, we need to run our application in Chrome. Uh, we cannot use it without that. Some other tools out there, they can analyze our application or visualize our application even without running it. So there's a the difference between static and dynamic analysis. And with Augury, uh, yeah, we, have great, we can have great development experience there. Uh, we can see the dependencies between the individual providers, for instance. Uh, we can see the state of given components uh, at given points uh, at time. So we can very, it's very convenient for runtime debugging.
1: Do you ever see these things like types and things like that, right? They're stripped out um, at build time. Do you ever see like a play for them moving into like some sort of metadata and runtime type checking?
3: Runtime type checking. Uh... Uh, if you so, in, in, initially Angular started with this ad script, right? Uh, it was performing entirely, like everything was happening there runtime. So it had runtime type checking with some type assertions. Mm, the runtime type checking could be useful as well. Mm. So, for instance, if we if we do well, if we write our types uh, strictly enough we may eventually not need it. So this is going to strip some runtime overhead because these assertions, there are still some operations which are being performed. Uh, but still, some issues eventually, I guess, can be caught by runtime type checking as well.
1: I mean, obviously, some people think runtime checking is important, right? Like we have React that has the props, right, that you can find, you know, string and all those different things. and um, you know, in a, pretty much every other language, C sharp, Java, we have runtime checking.
3: Uh, so we have, yeah. Java is strongly typed, so if we try to do something between and Python, even is strongly typed with runtime type checking. Uh, I prefer to still catch my bugs ahead of time uh, with uh, compile time type checking. Otherwise, I have to have also well so. There is also this boundary between very high test ca- test coverage. If you have 100% test coverage, probably runtime type checking is perfect for you, but you still need to run your tests. With compile time checking, you get something like uh, this 100% test coverage uh, ahead of time. So I'm, I'm not saying that you should not write tests. If you use uh, type checker, of course, it cannot prevent you from having logical errors in your code, mm, but um, you don't have to have a hundred percent test coverage in order to make sure that you don't have incompatible types in your in your system.
0: What do you feel about um, you know like really fully embracing the the type right in terms of writing and um, is that something that that should be encouraged for people to be doing because of the fact that now you can get this. Um, Uh, build time checks and and identify these things ahead of that to hopefully save you that time. You know, because obviously there's an expense, you know, a lot of people maybe not think about in terms of discovering an issue at runtime, right? And not only the, the fact that our users of our applications now experience that, right, but also the fact that it becomes harder for us to maybe replicate that to set up that scenario to try and identify what the actual bug is and track that down. And if we can discover those things ahead of r- runtime, you know, at that compile time, it's going to save us some of that, that overhead. I mean, is that something that we should be strongly considering here?
3: Oh, yes, I am I'm definitely encouraging uh, type systems. I'm definitely fan of static typing. So um, I know there are people with, con- with different opinions on the topic, and sometimes the compiler may feel a bit more strict than we want to because of strict no checks, for instance. We might be sure that given properties never know, but we still need to perform the check in order to satisfy the compiler. Um, I think uh, it's uh, a good idea to have such tooling and if we are not happy with it, instead of denying it, we can just try to improve it.
1: My favorite type is any.
0: Yeah, I wonder, too, uh, maybe selling it, you know, in terms of saying, like, look, this is important, and not only for all the stuff we kind of mentioned, but also I think the the more of that that we have turned on, the more that we have, then then the Angular compiler can do more things potentially with it, right? Is that a fair assessment that we could actually now, that can now leverage that, the stronger types throughout to maybe do even more performance stuff and more things like that?
3: Yeah, that's a good point as well. Uh, So, that's another low level thing in the JavaScript virtual machine. But uh, if our source code is... So for the JavaScript virtual machine, it is not obvious how, what, are the, what the shapes of our objects are and how given property needs to be accessed. So our, the virtual machine doesn't know if our object has property full and bar or only property bar. And it doesn't know in memory, like what the displacement in memory of the property bar is going to be. Uh, of given object because it may have other properties as well. So this is related. So what the JavaScript virtual machine tries to do is to find out where the property bar is located uh, in memory and try to access it uh, the first time. So when it finds where exactly it is, it creates the so-called inline cache. So the next time it doesn't have to go through the entire property resolution algorithm and, and it, can, it, it can just directly get it from memory. Uh, this is uh, information which we, so if we have static types in our application, we are going to be sure that the individual objects are always of the same type and the JavaScript virtual machine cache, inline caching will always work. It's not going to require the optimization of the source code. So yeah, as you said, types can eventually boost the performance of our app as well.
0: I, I got to say, you know, the more you describe this stuff, the more you, tips you share, uh, it kind of gets me a little excited about compilers. <laughs> I got I to be honest, I mean, this is fascinating. You know? Yeah,
3: it's really fun. I, actually on Angular, on ng-cruise, there was this hack night, and uh, we were going to write some calls with uh, the other attendees. So yeah, uh, everyone says, well, do you want to read some brainwaves with me or do some IoT stuff? And like there were, everyone was super excited. After that, it was my turn. So I said, "Anyone wants to write a compiler with me?" It was complete silence. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up uh, writing a punk game or something like that. With uh, it was still fun. We did some reactive stuff.
0: <laughs> now, don't you have a post that you wrote like a small compiler in JavaScript as well?
3: Yeah. So first, I wrote one uh, compiler. So first I wrote one, uh, well, it's, it's just a tiny functional programming language with a type system. It's not, it's, it's not a general purpose programming language, but uh, it was definitely fun. So I went through the, even the math, which was the exciting thing for me because, uh, yeah, I'm just curious in doing research in this direction. And uh, it, like maybe I had two visits or something like that. So after that, I decided to, well, there are more for sure, but. Um After that, I decided to create a compiler, small compiler, just very limited subset of what I built initially, without type system without anything so yeah, in the end, it came out to twenty five lines of JavaScript for both a compiler and interpreter, and it got much more popular and after that, the blog post about type systems got more attention as well, so I think it's that's the way to go you just Try to create a very small, very small, tiny model of a complicated concept in order to let people see value in it and appreciate it. That's that's how I learn in general as so, well. I mean, if there is something which sounds scary, I just ignore it.
0: <laughs> I feel like having a, a some set sort of knowledge about this topic, right? About the compilers, maybe not too deep, but but having an understanding, especially with understanding of what Angular is doing as well. Um, Potentially helps us write and think about our architecture of our Angular apps. It may be more efficient, maybe better. You know, um, would you guys, everybody, would everybody agree on that? Is that something that you know, worthwhile? Debugging. Say, look, at least dive in and kind of get this higher level view of it because it's going to help you be thinking about those things when you go to write your actual code.
1: I think, he, especially for debugging, like we were talking about with like AOT issues and things like that. Um, you know, having an understanding of kind of what's going on under the hood, I think, can really help you debug some of these issues like, is this like throwing this error, right? Like if you kind of have an idea of what's going on, you can, you know, diagnose that and, and fix that a lot easier instead of just like Googling <laughs> until like you find something.
0: Cool. So, um, okay, so next stuff, I, th- I see we have, a, we have a little bit of outline, some more stuff to cover. Um, can we talk about uh, the static analysis of, of Angular apps and maybe some of the, the other things, the benefits that it can bring? Like, uh, how about uh, refactoring code or anything like that? Is that something that yeah, has yeah.
3: the benefit? So, um, uh, this is again the static and dynamic analysis that we discussed, JIT versus ALT kind of thing. Uh, not necessary because with the analysis we don't need to emit code. Code we just analyze code, the intermediate representation. So compared to Augury, tools like TSLint, let's say, they are consuming our source code and they don't know how can how it can be executed. They just well they can infer I guess, but they are just using the what is out there in our source code and. Uh, With TSLint, what happens internally is that we are taking our source code, we are building some intermediate representation of it, which is just a tree. And trees are convenient for traversal and for analysis. So we can just traverse this tree, which is representing our source code, and make some decisions out of it. So that's it. That's what static analysis usually is. Uh, TSLint is very useful for catching some linting issues, of course. Uh, Linting issues could be considered. They can be related to functionality, to style, and others. And with tsn the cool thing is that once we have concluded that there is something wrong inside of our source code after traversing this tree, uh, what we can do, uh, what we can do, just to transform this tree a little bit, adjust it in order to fit the correct style, and right after that, serialize it to JavaScript again or to TypeScript. So that's uh, so this what the actual um these are actually the auto fixes, the refactorings that are happening all the time.
1: You could put the prettier tool in that same category.
3: Yeah, uh yeah. Yeah, there is very th- that's what I was thinking the other day. There is very thin boundary sometimes between linting errors, between compile time errors, linting errors, and style errors. So usually I prefer to use formatter because otherwise, well. Why would I use TSLint to tell me that I haven't put the opening brackets on the line where my if condition is? If prettier can do that automatically for you, and I don't have to fix it manually. Of course, with TSLint Auto fixes, they can fix it as well. But yeah, the formatter usually catches only styling errors. And the linter should focus on linting errors, which are not compile time errors. Sometimes it's not obvious where the difference, where the boundary is.
1: I mean, you wrote Codalizer, which is kind of a linter, which catches style errors. So
3: it catches actually both. Uh, it catches linting errors and style I was errors. playing
1: devil's advocate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, with Codalizer, um, Codalizer extends TSLint. So, with TSLint, what we can do is just analyze TypeScript but in angular we have a few other types of languages inside we have css which we can embed inside of our component we have the template which is actually another programming language in the end uh, that's it's turing complete you have ngif ng4 you can do everything there
1: and and just so people know right like if you don't know what Codalizer is if you're using the cli and you see errors like you didn't implement on a knit interface. That is Codalyzer under the hood, showing you those errors. And, and, and he wrote that. So, uh,
3: yeah, uh, yeah. This is uh, uh, and it also analyzes. My point is that it also analyzes templates, styles, and Angular has also tiny language instead of the inside of the values of some attributes so for instance if you have if you can inline a tiny expression there which is not javascript it's just a dsl it's just a template language that anger has so yeah coalizers extends tslint in order to provide analysis for templates styles and uh, such expressions
1: uh now you mentioned style What do you mean css style
3: or, style. or yeah css also does
1: does Codalizer have um, plugins for style, CSS?
3: Yeah, it, can, it, can, it supports Sass and uh, everything out of the box. You just need to provide, it, it provides some hooks. So it's, it is going to pass your styles to the function which implements the actual transformation of code. So what is going to happen is that Codalizer finds that your component has some styles. It finds out that your styles are Sass, It passes them to your hook, which compiles your SAS to CSS. Collizer analyzes the CSS. And right after that, based on the source map, outputs the errors in your SAS files.
1: I don't think I've ever seen it give me errors in SAS files. Is this like you have? Yeah? I have,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: You have to be really talented to create those errors. (laughs) (laughs) Or the exact opposite,
0: right?
1: (laughs) I, I know I'm using style right now um, for for those type of things.
3: Yeah, so, well, there are no any, any rules right now which are for styles. So, but if we want, we can implement them.
0: So. Um... Like with CodeLizer, right, it has this ability to analyze the template, temp, give us input about the templates, right? You're talking about the, the template syntax and things like that. If we didn't have CodeLizer there, but we ran the, the NGC notifications about those things, are, are is it kind of doing that same stuff in some levels? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, that's a great point. So we have the compile time errors, which are being thrown by NGC, and we have some Let's say Linting Carers. Uh, so Colalyzer is focused on the Angular Style Guide, which uh, shows us how to write idiomatic Angular in the end. So a few years ago, I I worked with uh, Igor Minar, with John Papa, and Ho- with War Bell on the Angular Style Guide. It was really exciting to have a chance to work with them on such fun thing. Uh, so we came up with the Style Guide, and I decided that it might be a good idea to analyze an Angular application statically in order to prove that it follows the style guide to some extent. That's how I decided to build Colizer. And Colizer has mostly rules related to the style guide. Although we are calling it style guide, some of these errors are actually... can be considered as linting errors, not style errors. And they cannot be automatically refactored. For instance, if you have... if you haven't implemented the ng on it interface the only interface and you have ngoninit method this is not something which is necessary safe to be automatically fixed by uh, a so this can be considered more of a linting error
1: why would it not be safe for coderizer to
3: to fix that uh well it might well it's uh, you have definitely bad naming uh if you have a method called ngoninit and it's it doesn't intend to be involved as a lifecycle hook or engine on this or engine destroy on destroyer, whatever.
1: Well, I think um, you've yeah. got bigger problems with <laughs> uh, stuff that's named that than
3: uh, style. Yeah, that's correct.
0: So, so, one of the things I'm wondering is, like, you know, we, we get some stuff at compile time that identifies, hey, the, the, you use this wrong in the template. You tried to access a property on an object wrong, or whatever, right? Doesn't exist. Um, But if we could get that in our IDE and editors at the time we're typing that code, it's ideal, right? Now, is that something that does Angular language services fill that gap? Is that where that comes into play in terms of being able to kind of almost run like a compile-like scenario while we're typing the code?
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, what the Angular CLI does, now what the Angular language service does is to parse our template uh, when we start typing something. For instance, when we start typing something into an interpolation. Uh, it is just going to take a look at our component and its properties, find a list of these properties, and right after that, based on what we have typed and the properties and the methods of the component, it is going to give us some suggestions. So, yeah, that's that's what it does. In general, it, it's almost as simple as it sounds, except that we are right now ignoring a lot of complexities, such as uh, inheritance chain and template references, which can be declared like anywhere in our application and it creates a bit of a mess, but yeah.
0: Uh, Lots of parts, lots of parts, right? And lots of benefits too, which is pretty cool.
3: Yeah, yeah, the, the template references are the biggest pain, to be honest. Yeah, regarding tooling, because you need to have the metadata for your entire application collected in order to give proper suggestions, otherwise
1: I I one thing that really gets me about the template re- references I always like want to make most of them private and you can't make them private it's so sad
3: Yeah I'm 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 um, frustrated from tooling point of view because it requires me to parse the entire project if they were private I was going to be completely happy as well actually okay
0: so what what other tooling anything else
3: yeah we have so on top of uh, similar analysis like uh, what colorizer does we have awesome tools like compodoc so compodoc is developed by vincent um and you said you had a show with him right yeah
0: yeah we had a show i think last year maybe early last year uh yeah it was it was really fascinating
3: yeah, it's an amazing tool. So basically it statically analyzes your our, our application without requiring to us for like to run it or anything. It just collects some data out of it. it finds out the individual components based on the component decorator that we have on top of the classes. It finds out their uh, selectors, like their styles, their templates, their tem- analyzes the templates, finds out find out the uh, connection between the individual components based on the for, for instance if we refer to tem- template B in the template of component A, we, if we reference it we'll be able to find out this uh, relationship between these two components and uh, ComfoDoc after that is going to render our entire application. So that's a pretty cool thing that uh, Vincent is doing there.
0: Yeah so it's it's not just the the documentation, right, but it's also the analysis of the whole tree and structure of your app and all that stuff.
3: Yes, after it figures out the dependencies between the individual components, their relations, it can output everything into a JSON format or HTML. So we can use it as documentation. Yeah, this is this is pretty cool.
0: One of the things I've found that beneficial for was to I identify where that thing's ng-modules, and maybe like maybe like visualize that, then you can see where you maybe want to re-architect that, right? Make other ng-modules smaller, or, or this sort of thing, or, or the overlap. Um, it seems to be very handy for that.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's something that I've been working on as well. It's in a tool that I've on top of the Angular compiler. It's ng-ref. Uh, I didn't mention one, th- one cool thing about the Angular compiler. So it's not only going to find out all the all the components in our application, but it also partially evaluates some expressions. This means that so usually the evaluation happens runtime, right? So when we open our application, we are evaluating some expressions. And your the Angular compiler can try to evaluate expressions at build time. So this is something that Prepack does. Uh, th- that's prepacks so the tool that Facebook released some time back. So what the purpose of Prepack is? is to just take our javascript evaluate everything to the point where we cannot evaluate it anymore because we need some runtime information like let's say user input or anything and uh, from there on we can just take this and uh, put it through uglify.js or anything which is going to make our application run even faster than usually so the angular compiler does this as well but not to such extent so it because imagine that we have a component decorator somewhere, and the selector of the component decorator, it is not defined inline inside of the decorator itself, but instead it is def- defined uh, in a variable, in a, let's say, a constant somewhere outside of the component declaration. In, this, in this, this case, the Angular compiler is going to follow the reference and find out where exactly the selector is defined and figure out what the value of the selector is. So this is something which works already. And uh, yeah, so I didn't mention this thing, uh, which is a very powerful feature of the compiler. And thanks to this, we can build even more advanced tools for static analysis and for visualization of source code. And this is something that I'm taking advantage of in uh, an Electron application that I built uh, some time back, ngref, Uh, it just visualizes the dependency graph of your application.
0: And so how do you use that? Do you just launch that app and then point it at your binaries or your build output of that, and then it kind of does magic?
3: Yeah. Uh, You open your application, you open ngref, you select your tsconfig.app.json file from your Angular CLI project, and it finds out the dependencies and the relations between the individual modules and everything.
0: Interesting. That's so and
3: cool. it is based on the Angular compiler, so it can do anything that the compiler can. So that's the cool thing about it.
0: And is it? Does it handle large applications, a bunch of files? Is it pretty fast, or how? Is it basically the same kind of speed as the compiler, or what?
3: Uh, it was super slow actually on Christmas. And what uh, what happened was that Igor told me, uh, messaged me on Twitter, and told me this app is it's slow. <laughs> so yeah, I left Christmas a little bit earlier <laughs> and fixed it. <laughs> so now it's much faster. It's it's running the entire parsing stuff into a background process because with Electron you have this blocking, which is not very convenient. So it runs everything into a like background process, parses your application, and right after that pushes back the structure to the main thread which renders it. So it, it works fine. Um, it's as Fastest uh, or as slow as the ahead-of-time compilation like NGC is.
0: Interesting. So, what? Uh, um, you have another tool, NGAST. Is it NGAST?
3: Yeah. Uh, so the Angular compiler it is awesome for what it does. Sometimes it provide it provides very low-level API because that's what the compiler compiler does. So on top of the compiler, I built this ngst, which just provides you a more convenient interface for working with the compiler if you want to do something like static analysis or visualization of source code. So what ngst does is you just pass you you just install the library, npm install ngast, you take your the path to your tsconfig file, you pass it to ngast. And right after that, you can get all the modules, sorted, all the directives, all the components, like everything from your application.
0: i just it, my, my I'm just to think about it. It Sounds cool, though. It sounds very cool. So, what 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 do you envision for the use of that?
3: Uh, you can use it for anything. I, I built a Christmas tree garden out of it.
1: <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a pretty good tool to like generate documentation as well. You know, something like CompDoc could yeah. use it.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. I I uh, so I gave a talk. So I have this talk Mad Science with the Angular compiler when I try to give it something goes wrong. Last time I tried to give it in Russian, the beauty got on fire. And <laughs> yeah, two weeks ago. I was uh, in Google here in Mount in uh, in San Francisco, and in the middle of the presentation, my keyboard stopped working, so I had to restart my computer in front of everyone. So it was awkward. Uh, but after my talk, one guy uh, came to me and told me, "Well, yeah, the Christmas garden is pretty cool, but I would prefer to use it for something useful." So exactly, he he said this about documentation. Um, I, I think uh, it is quite useful for this. Yes.
1: Another idea that be it could be useful for is um testing right if i could you know in, in like a test harness i could like read out the inputs and just feed it a bunch of different input data uh to see if the component would break or something like that
3: yeah that's a, an awesome idea so yeah you can get the type of the input as well you can do pretty much everything
0: Yeah, also, I wonder if, like, like Storybook, you know, or. or um, That's where
1: I, I was going you with that. <laughs> could,
0: you, could you run the NGAST to generate those things and then just have an easy way to, like, code up the scenarios and stuff from that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. The only uh, requirement there is that NGAST needs to be decoupled from Node.js. I think it is. Uh, so you should be able to use it in the browser eventually. Not sure. Yeah, it should be decoupled.
0: Very fascinating, I think so. I mean, everybody probably agrees, huh? This is you—you open this up, you start digging in, and and it's just there's all these things to think about, all these potentials, all this this value, right? Um, That comes out of all this, which is kind of crazy if you think about the fact that, like, I, I sometimes wonder with the whole all this compilation things on the you know with JavaScript and all this stuff, like. Did we just start opening a hole and digging in, and then you get excited about these other elements, you still you pursue, pursue it further? But now are we like over-engineering things? Is it too much? I don't know, but um, it, it certainly sees there's this draw about it that as you do one thing, a little thing, you're like, oh, I could do this, I could do that. I don't know.
3: Yeah. I think we're going in a good path because this is well, like this is some, somewhere that a lot of people have been before, with a lot of compilers, and they know how how powerful this can go. So we're just taking uh, the same path, and probably you're going to have some good results.
2: Hey, Minko, there's a question in the chat from uh, Ed Pelk, who's my friend, and he's very cool. Uh, He wants to know if there's a way to get codalizer with ng-serve, or do you need to manually run ng-lint for that?
3: Uh, You have, uh, well, you have the the watch mode of TSLint, so you should be able to do that. Uh, what, with watch mode of your files, it should be able to... I'm not sure whether you can plug it exactly in ng-surf. I guess this is something that I need to discuss with Mike and Hans, um, but it's possible. Well, just yeah. tell
2: him Ed wants it, so that should you know, take it to the top of the list.
3: Yeah, <laughs> this should be possible.
2: <laughs> All right, Ed, you heard it here.
0: Cool. All right, well, we're getting to the top of the hour. So anything else that you want to mention, Minko, before we get to picks?
3: Uh No, I think, yeah, I think we did a very in-depth, actually, uh, episode about the compilers in general today.
2: I didn't know that you did Codelizer. I should have known that, but I didn't know. I'm going to have to start being nicer to you.
3: <laughs> There's a pretty cool well, logo yeah. for
0: that, too, and stickers for that. Oh yeah, I have left, Miko.
3: I have two stickers left. Yes. You
1: you you could view it as you could start being meaner toward him because your errors are happening all the time now too. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I can't be mean to Miko.
0: <laughs> all right, cool. Let's uh let's get to picks. We'll uh go through our panelists first. Uh, Austin, do you have anything?
1: Um, no picks for me. Uh, One thing, uh, I I will plug a project that I started working on. Um, I started working on some state management, um, something that kind of takes a different approach than NGRX, and it's a library called NGXS. NGX and then S for state. Um, So check that out.
0: We might just have an episode coming up on that, maybe even next week. We'll see.
1: Is it next week? I don't remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it might be. It might be. You might need to get ready. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, Bonnie.
2: Okay. I'm going to reveal that I'm a huge nerd, but you guys already know that. I'm really excited. And I've probably already said this. You guys already know this anyway, but, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, NG Comp registration starts in 42 days, 4 hours, 2 minutes, and 46 seconds. Yes. So uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to see all my friends, and I'm excited to meet a lot of new people. And if you do not have tickets for NGConf yet, now is the time. You can get them. And uh, we usually start buying plane tickets like a month in advance, so this is the time. If your boss wouldn't let you go to NGConf, just do it anyway. Trust me, this is something I know something about. It'll be fine. Just go. It'll be super fun. Just anyway, it's so NGConf.
1: Ask for forgiveness, than permission approach.
2: Yeah. Well, the first time I wanted to go to NGConf, my boss wouldn't send me. And I was really upset about it. And so I just took the week off and went anyway. And it was really, really a good decision. And I, I have never regretted it for a moment. So if you're, if you're kind of on the fence, just do it. Just do it. It'll be Isn't fun. Isn't
1: that where we met, Pawnee?
2: Yes, I met all of you at NGConf. I started my, my I, don't even get me started at the end of the show, but just trust me, it's the most fun you'll ever have anywhere in the universe. Go to NGConf. 42 days four hours, one minute and 43 seconds. All
0: are, right. Are, are you gonna have any 80s gear? Because you know, the 80s is the theme.
2: My daughter's having a hard time understanding that. Like she starts telling me about 80s fashion. And I was like, you know, I was actually there, right? Like I was actually in the 80s live while it was happening, which is a strange concept for a teenager.
0: Yeah, I might have to wear my locomotion t shirt and like some tube socks and some neon shorts. I don't know, or, or maybe not. The time has gone. <laughs>
2: Yeah. For yeah
0: sure. All right. Uh, any other picks? You good on that? Okay. Uh, all right. My pick is a tweet by Corey House about uh, pull underscore request underscore template dot MD files in your repos for your open source projects and stuff. You can set that up and it, uh, GitHub will automatically read that for pull requests. So you can use that as a template or um, guide for people making pull requests to your repo. I thought that was pretty cool. That's my pick. All right, Minko, our guest is last. What do you, do you have any picks?
3: Yeah, uh, my pick is, well, Colorizer 4.2 is out and it has support for Angular version 6 and a few new rules implemented by uh, William Koza. So he introduced rules for, because it's not good, it's not a good idea to have very complicated expressions and very complicated templates, right? We don't have to put a lot of logic in our templates. So with coalizer now we can limit this. We have rule for boolean expression complexity, so our ifs, ngifs cannot get far too complicated because we're going to tell you that you have reached your limit. Uh, And we have also the cyclomatic complexity, which is something that I'm even more excited about. So we are estimating the, let's say, the branch statement complexity and how many uh, conditions you have and how many ngifs and how many and if you have too many of these, we're going to throw you, give you a warning so that you don't make your templates too complicated.
0: I really like that. I think that's going to be super valuable. Uh, I think that's something that we get into. It's easy to get into writing your template code um, I think for people to start thinking about maybe other templating systems or server-side rendering stuff that they've done before, like PHP or, or ASP.NET or something like that, where you just start loading logic in your templates and you could get into these performance and, and scenarios. And so it will be nice to have some some guidance and kind of like a poking and say, hey, maybe maybe not.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And I I, I saw also saw an issue some time back. But that's my second pick for, from the TypeScript type system that it's already as powerful as a programming language. So uh, yeah, that's something cool and dangerous. That's another my second pick.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time coming on, uh, sharing your knowledge and, and talking about this stuff. Thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. That's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Anytime, anytime. We're going to have to plan another episode. Have you back. All right, kids, friends, that's it. Uh, Another episode in the books and we will catch you next week. Later.